The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning. Happy New Year. We're back here again for our Sunday school time. Before I begin to look at what we have for today, we're going to pause for prayer. And then I'll begin. Our Father in heaven, we come, Lord, giving thanks to you that we have this privilege today to come into the house of the Lord. We know that you have ordained it to be so for us. Father, we do lift up those who are not able to be in the building today, some who have some concerns and cautions with regard to health matters, including our pastor and his family. And we just ask for all of those, for your blessing for each one of them, and for the restoration of all who are having issues and difficulties. And now, Lord, we ask you to help us as we look now again into the word of the Lord. We know that you have done many wonderful and great things to cause the word to first be proclaimed by Amos that we are looking at this morning to his audience. And now having all of these years preserved that word for our learning, help us, Lord, to learn through these words which you have preserved for us. We ask in the name of Christ, our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. We are turning again to the book of Amos. We have been studying here for quite some time. And most of the messages that Amos delivered to his audience had a negative ring to them. They were difficult and hard messages for the people to hear and also for the prophet himself to have to deliver such messages, harsh messages, to those people who have been identified as by God as his people or my people. Now, God used the phrase, and we see this throughout this little epistle, I mean this little, I guess you call it, it's not an epistle, this little uh, book what we call a minor prophet, where God identifies Israel as my people. Those words have great significance that he says my people. And that means that those people were special. In some way, they were special to God. And they knew that they were special to him. So they were correct in understanding that they were special in God's eyesight. But the problem was that they apparently did not understand the implications of the specialness of what God had done. First to create the people and then to put his label, my people, on them. And to 
understand and to see, hear, express in the book that they missed enormous, enormously missed what they should have not missed. We notice in chapter uh, 3 and verse number 2, look back again and see what that verse says. It says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. That sounds special, right? So they were a special people. And Amos is saying that to them. Yes, special, yes. But look at the next part of that verse. Therefore, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. So that's the part that becomes a difficult part. That's the part that becomes a hard part. That's the part that sounds harsh. That God says, I will punish. But the people evidently were not expecting God's hand of punishment to come down upon them. Now let's turn to chapter 9. And look at what we see here. In verse number 10. Amos chapter 9 and verse number 10. And here's what we read. All the sinners of my people. Let me say that one more time. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. Who say, the calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. So what the prophet is saying is that the people had an idea. They had a belief. They had a a, a way of being, of thinking, a view. The calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. But now, when he says all the sinners of my people. So I want us to notice a couple of things about that particular verse. Is that being sinners did not take away God's identification of them as my people. The fact that they were sinners did not cause God to withdraw. But he says, the sinners of my people. And then the second thing, being counted as God's people did not spare them from the sword. So they were a part of the group that had been identified as God's special people, and they knew that. And they evidently thought that would spare them from the sword. But God says, no, it won't. In fact, it heightened their responsibility because to them much was entrusted. And so that meant great responsibility. And so when we look at this, we can say, well, were they 
really correct in their assessment that they were special, God's special people. Now I want us to look at some verses with regard to that idea. Israel, special in God's sight. First, there are some verses in Exodus. And I just want to read off a few of those. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 5, we see this. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. Then he says, for all the earth is mine, special treasure. To be a special treasure in God's eyesight, in God's economy, that is really a high place. Now we'll move on in Exodus chapter 19 to the next verse, verse number 6. It says this, and you shall be to me a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Special, yes. The idea of a kingdom, a priest, of a holy nation. And that those were the words that they were supposed to imbibe. And embrace. And then in verse 7, still in Exodus chapter 19, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. That's Deuteronomy. A special people, they had good reason to consider themselves to be a special people in God's view. They were. And that much they were accurate in their assessment of themselves in relation to God. But it goes on. In Deuteronomy, I have a few more verses here three verses in Deuteronomy. In in chapter 26 in Deuteronomy, and in verse number, well, let me take verse, uh, Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6 first. Take them in the order in which they appear. It says, The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. You, above all peoples, as it is this day. And now, in Deuteronomy 26, in verse number 18, it says this, Also, today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. So it's not something that they made up to say, well, we're special people. It says the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. 
just as he promised you that you should keep all of his commandments. That's what the Lord said. Also, we can look at Deuteronomy in chapter 32 and verse number 9. And this is what we read there. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is a place of his inheritance. Special people. In Psalm 147 and verse 19, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. So we can say that the audience that Amos had, Israel, that they were accurate with respect to some of the Bible knowledge that they were using to proclaim themselves to be special people. They were accurate about that. They were special in God's sight. So the question is then, so then where did they go wrong? See, we see all these verses, so it's not a fiction that they are special in God's sight. God has ordained that to be the case. But where did they go wrong? I think we can say this, that where they went wrong is that they looked at what God did in making them special as him having granted to them possessory rights. Possessory rights. Possessory rights would indicate that they have this position and it's theirs and nothing is going to topple or interfere with it. Possessory rights. When you buy a piece of property, let's say you buy a piece of real estate, you get possessory rights. You have rights to the property that other people don't have. And they just can't come up and say, well, you know, I'll just do whatever I want because they don't have those kinds of rights. So what kind of rights did they have? They have promissory rights. Promissory. And so promissory rights means that you have rights, but there are conditions that come with those. And so as long as you maintain your part, the possessory issue doesn't become a problem. Because, see, for them, the land was a central focus. God says, with all these prophecies about the covenant that he made with people of Israel, you see it all around the land. I gave this land to you. This is your land. But then God, at some point, he says, well, I'm putting you out of your land. And they say, I'm going to bring you back into your land that I gave you. So possessory, yes, but there was a promissory aspect to it. And that's where they went wrong. And so then Amos then comes along. He says, so you have gotten part of what God said, and you got it correct, correctly. 
but you're not you don't you're not you don't have a full picture. You don't have the you don't have all you need. Your approach falls short. They wanted God to keep his part of the promise. Even though they did not keep their part. That would be what a possessory right would indicate. God's going to keep his, he, he made promises he's going to keep it no matter what. Well, he is going to keep his promises no matter what. But what will happen between, for Israel, God says, I have promises about what is going to happen. And those are going to be fulfilled. But in the meantime, all the sinners are my people. He said, are going to die by the sword. And that's what he said in Amos. Now, let's, Amos really does highlight the significance of what all this means. <clears throat> because the judgments that Amos was talking about, they were coming about for a reason. And in the early part of the book of Amos, we see emphasis placed on that. And we see the language that Amos uses to make it bold and clear, dramatic, so that they can't miss the message. When you read people who understand the language, they talk about how that language can be used in various ways to communicate. And obviously not knowing Hebrew, I am sure that I miss an enormous amount of what is there, the value and the quality of how these expressions are put together. But we have good English translations, and there is a lot we can gather from what we have. I want you to consider this the sins that they had. I have listed here ten verses which talks about judgment, which is coming. In all ten of these verses, in the early part of the book of Amos, you see two things that I'm drawing attention to here. One of them is, thus says the Lord. That's one. And the other one is a single word, transgressions. So these two things in these ten verses. And when you work through that, now you see what God is doing. We've gone through all these verses before. But Amos was saying, judgment is coming to all these nations that are surrounding Israel and, and Judah. But then after he addressed them, then he began to address Judah and said, Judah also is in the fire line for judgment. And we said, as Amos was preaching to the northern kingdom, Israel, that they, that audience probably didn't have too much trouble yet. But Amos wasn't done. And then he, he zeroed in on Israel, the northern kingdom, and he, with a double barrel focus. And so you see a lot more of the detail given with regard to them. 
and their transgressions. But let me look and have us look at these phrases. Each one of them says, thus says the Lord. Each one of them has the word transgressions. In Amos chapter 1 and verse number 3, these are the words that are there. And I'm just picking out a few other words to emphasize the point that I'm working with now. It says, for three transgressions and for four. In Amos 1, 6, for three transgressions and for four. Amos 1, 7, for three transgressions and for four. Amos 1, 11, for three transgressions and for four. Amos 1, 13, for three transgressions and for four. Amos chapter 2 and verse number 1. For three transgressions and for four. In Amos chapter 2 and verse number 4. For three transgressions and for four. In Amos chapter 2 and verse number 6. For three transgressions and for four. And in Amos chapter 3, 14. It says, for their transgressions. And in chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, for I know your manifold transgressions. So we see that what Amos is saying when he says judgment is coming, he has already laid out that the judgment that's coming is a justified judgment. It was justified. And objectively, there's no way to reject that notion. God will always do right. It just kind of reminds you of Abraham and the confrontation, or not confrontation, but the communication he had with the angels before they went down to destroy Sodom. And Abraham began to, to try to intercede a bit. And he said, for to the Lord, well, you know, what about the righteous people? Well, you know, what if there are 50 or 40 or, or 20 or, or 10? Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? So that was an interesting idea that Abraham was pursuing. And so God, when he brings the judgment, but one of the things that Abraham said is, shall not the God of all the earth do right? See? And the answer, obviously, that's a rhetorical question which has this answer built into it. You can't ask, will the God of all the earth do right and not know the answer? The answer is, of course, yes, he will. So that if he brings this judgment on, jo- on Sodom and Gomorrah, he has done right. If he brings judgment on these ones that Amos is addressing, he has done right. Because he is God and he will always do right. We can be assured about that. So with all of this, now we come to the last part of chapter 9, verses 9, uh, 10, I'm sorry, verses 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So now we see a, a dramatic change after all of this preaching about devastation and destruction. Now let's read the last part of the book of Amos. Here's what we read, beginning in verse number 11. Now, he says, on that day. Now, we're going to say a few words about what that really is. 
that he's talking about here. But listen to the words here. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. So you see that there's something here that's very significant. That what is happening with Amos in his day, the level of wickedness and gross sin has not obliterated the idea of what God is going to do. It didn't cause an erasure of what God said he would do. The tabernacle of David. Now, just let me just read on through. Now he says in verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Now we get an idea here, they, they we, we, we're thinking in terms of what he has identified there in verse 10 as my people, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the day is a coming, says the Lord. In some of our other messages, we talked about how many times that phrase says the Lord appears. Now, here the Lord is speaking again. And he says, behold, days are coming in which what will happen? When the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the trader of grapes, him uh, who sows seed. That doesn't sound like famine like we visited in the early part of the book about what was coming. But he says that, but now this is also coming. There will be a day when that's the case. The mountains will or shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people, Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer. Listen to these words. And no longer will they be pulled up from the land I have given them. Now, this is really a dramatic and a wonderful thing. One of the things that's interesting about that is, is that what Amos is talking about here is something that should have brought encouragement to, to people whom, to whom Amos was speaking. These words will be encouragement to people in Amos' time. Now, one of the things that's interesting about that is this. Now, we know, and historically it's clear, that in the earlier part with some of the things about the judgments, we know and we could identify that, that the day of the Lord that was being referred to there was the near future. But this one is a far future. So that day, 
I just have a couple of points or a few. Don't consider it in the idea of a specific date in a 24-hour day. That's not what he's getting at. But we can think of it more of a, as a reference to a period of time where an event or a series of events, of events will occur, and these things will occur in that day, as he says here. Now, so then the real issue is not so much the idea of picking a day, but the idea of if, whether this is near or far future, and even clearly to understand whether or not this has already been fulfilled. Well, the answer is this. This is far future for Amos' audience, but it still wants to be an encouragement to them. And so, so what we have then is this. This being the case, so we say this is far future. It's fair to ask the question, are you fair in saying that? <laughs> are you fair? Are, are you being accurate about saying that's far future? And I'm saying that because you can read in certain commentaries where people will argue about certain things. And some of the things that we say are future, some, in some places will argue that that's not a literal thing that can be considered to be something that will occur, and they have other ways of explaining it. They either say, well, something that they identified in history, and that was it, or they'll say, well, that was just figure of speech, and it's never going to be because it wasn't meant to be taken literally the way you folks are doing it. But we take it as it is here, the plain sense of the language, and we see no reason to reject that. So we stand on that. So now one of the ways that we can understand that it is future and is far future, it was future to them and it is future to us. Just if that, that one thing we can ask, has the tabernacle of David been rebuilt? He said it's going to be. Now what about David? What about the tabernacle of David? I think a part of what we're seeing here is this is that when Amos was delivering the message, if we think about the tabernacle of David in terms of the Davidic dynasty, it was already torn. It had already been split. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. It wasn't that way before. There was a rupture. But you know, that wasn't the end of the story before these things would come to pass. Because it was going to get worse. The rupture was bad enough. And Jeroboam the first setting up that false worship system and then just had the people say, well, just go here. Don't go down to Jerusalem because, uh, to Judah, you know, because you might hear the real word and you might start to believe that and you might stay and start following the, the thing that we're supposed to. We don't want that to happen. So you just go to this false worship place and do what you need to do. So, so this kingdom had already been split in that way. The dynasty was having trouble. But then now, near future for Amos' audience was that the Assyrians were coming. 
Now, historically, they did. And they did the damage. And so we identify 722 B.C. as the approximate date for the beginnings of all of that that transpired with the destruction of the northern kingdom and the taking away of the people into captivity and all that accompanied what went on there. Judah, though, was not taken all the way into captivity at that point. Now, you would notice when you study those areas that the Assyrians intended to continue on with their campaign. And, but as for Jerusalem, the Lord said, no, you can come this far now in the Father. So in Judah, a lot of those areas were uh, decimated by the Assyrians, but Jerusalem was protected. And so that gave Judah an opportunity. But in 586 B.C., something happened there. And the culmination of things happened there. And I would say the culmination, because there were minor deportations prior to 586, and we identify those. But the major event in 586 B.C., it's when the Babylonians came, and they did to Judah, the southern kingdom, what the Assyrians did to the northern kingdom. And so then after that, the tabernacle of David, the dynasty of David, was in need of restoration. It was in need of restoration. So these are some powerful things here. But you know, even for us, there's an encouragement. Although Amos prophesied about 2,800 years ago, and these things in this latter part of chapter 9 of Amos are yet future. We don't know how far future, but they're future to us. But that still is an encouragement. Because God, early on, he said, I have a plan. And I'm going to do a certain thing. And I'm going to do it. Now, I'm working through my people. And I made promises to them. And I'm going to keep every one of them. Sinners, though they be. But I'm still going to accomplish my purposes so that, he says, all the sinners of my people will die by the sword. In verse 10 of 9, chapter 9. It's important to think about that. One of the things that we've often said is that God always has a remnant. There's always somebody who says, I'm standing with what the Lord says. A remnant. And so we need not get off track in thinking that all is doom and gloom because God is going to fulfill the promise and the promises that he made. He's never going to fail. We can count on it. There are some other verses here. I'm not going to read those now. We'll go back to some of those and then we'll move through this 
through the end of this chapter. And I know this is a long and drawn out way of looking at the book the way that I have been doing it. But it, for me, personally, it has been a tremendous blessing. Because each time I go back and I look, it seems to me really quite amazing what God has done to allow us to have access to his word and to have enough aptitude to be able to understand to some extent some of these things and then to ask for him to work in us so that we can be found to be pleasing to him. We'll close with a prayer. Our Father, today we have taken this time to look at these portions of Scripture which we have brought. And we are just simply asking for you to help us day by day, both to understand how and what to do and to do those things to your glory and to your praise. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen.